Welcome to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is such a great time to be alive in college softball. I'm Greg Robertson. That's Tom Canterbury. It's episode 32, Tom, and we're going to dig into a lot in this episode. We've got a fun road trip that we can talk about. We've got the first edition of Bracketology for this season, which I have been hard at work on all day. We've got a conversation with Amanda Scarborough coming up and, you know, more talks about the NCAA tournament and what it'll look like. We've got supersized picks. Tom's hungry. My goodness, Tom, what a chock full episode this is. Yeah, not only are picks supersized, I'm supersized after Fayetteville. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, one of the best Tom's Hungries we've had maybe ever. I mean, it was outstanding this weekend. Like by the end of the weekend, I was like, I'm ready for the SEC tournament to be in Fayetteville because I couldn't get to everywhere that we wanted to go. If not best, certainly most extensive. I think we can agree on that. Absolutely. That's at the end of the show, folks. All now right. We'll talk softball first. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll start at the plate, talk about Alabama taking two of three from Arkansas. Two words, one name, Montana Fouts. We'll dig into that mm-hmm. in just a bit. We will advance to first, talk about a big weekend in the SEC, FGCL Player of the Week, as always. Then... We will steal second time with Amanda Scarborough, an interview that for only the second time in the history of the show, I did by myself because you have jobs and whatnot. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get my pay on, as the kids say. Yes. So wasn't available, but I'm, I'm really I'm excited to hear what Amanda had to say. I'm sure it's going to be a really good interview. Oh, yeah. She's got some things to say about Alabama, Florida coming up this weekend. She'll be on the call for the other two TV games that Sydney and I are not on. And then we will round third. We've got Bracketology, RPI discussion, a wonderful interview by our friends at In the Circle with Matt Larson, the head of the NCAA Selection Committee for Softball. We'll talk about what was gleaned from that. You know, a couple things were cleared up, which I'm really excited to hear. And we'll talk about that when we round third. And then finally, we will head home, SEC picks, Tom's hungry, off the wall. Alabama went on the road and won a series against a top 10 team leading the conference. I don't, how, why is there an off the wall? But yes, there is. Why are there complaints after a win? I don't know, but all right, let's talk about this past weekend. As I said, one name, two words, Montana Fouch, your SEC pitcher of the week. It shouldn't have been close. I don't think it was for the weekend, 14 innings, eight hits, three runs, zero earned runs, 12 walks, 23 strikeouts, just the words escape me, Tom, to describe <laughs> what Montana did this past weekend. Because, you know, we did a show earlier this year. We ranked our top five Montana Fouts performances. For me, this was number two. I know you said it was number wow. three, but this is this was to me one of the most impressive outings from her in her entire career. Yeah, I put it. It'd be her, a number one regular season outing out of Montana Fouts. Um, just unbelievable. And the other stat is two games, zero home runs allowed Mm -hmm. against the top home run hitting team in the conference. It was just so impressive to watch her be able to do that. And she did it like we were talking about. She wasn't just completely overpowering uh, with the pace. She she located her, her pitches really, really well, kept the batters off balance issued a walk or two when she needed to. And overall, just a, I, it was a masterful pitching performance by her, a great game called by Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow. And just, I can't say enough, like you said, it, it, it gives to a point where the, the words are not there <laughs> to talk about how awesome Montana Fouts was this weekend. And I think it bodes really well for what Alabama will need from her 
uh, moving forward. I mean, just the rise ball, jumpy, great movement on the curve and drop. She threw the off speed a little bit more in game one, but when she used it, it went pretty well for the most part. And like you said, no home runs given up and only one extra base hit. Very much shades of OKC Montana Fouts. It really was. And we talked about so much during the broadcast this weekend, and we talked with Patrick Murphy about it too. If you're going to make a mistake against a team like Arkansas, make sure it's a mistake off the plate. That's why you'll take the walks every once in a while against the Razorbacks. That's what, unfortunately, Lexa Kilfoyle wasn't able to do in game number two. The mistakes she made, some of it induced by a just ridiculous strike zone, but they were uh, they were over the plate, and Arkansas you know, tattooed them. And the fact that, as I said, that it was weird – that I was actually kind of hoping for a few more walks from Lexi Kilfoyle in game two, because that means that you weren't making the mistakes over the plate, no right. walks, which is usually awesome. But unfortunately that meant that you were putting it where Arkansas could really hit it. Montana issued a few more walks than usual, but they were almost strategic walks in my opinion. All right, let's talk about the offense team batting average for the weekend was 210, two for 16 with runners in scoring position, the whole series. I would like to first off take a moment to tip my cap, to doff my headphones, to push the mic in her direction. Autumn Storms was incredible this past weekend. And we've jokingly called her All-American Autumn Storms, saying, wow, she was an All-American, but did she really deserve it? And then she had the great outing in 2020. And we we thought, okay, we saw what All-American Autumn Storms looks like when she's at her best. We also mm-hmm. saw this past weekend, not only Autumn Storms at her best, but Autumn Storms not 100% and still pitching really well. It was just an impressive performance. And as I said, after the Saturday game, one of the best opposing pitcher outings I've seen in the five years that I've been doing this with you. 100%. I would put Autumn Storms in game two with like Faremo and, and when Alabama played UCLA last year in Clearwater. Just unbelievable and we saw all American Autumn Storms twice, which is the the difference. You know, we, we saw her at times before, uh, but usually the second or third time that we saw Storms, Alabama was able to get hits. But it wasn't the case here in, in game number three. Alabama had to manufacture. You know, sometimes sometimes when the hits aren't coming, when when you're not able to to drive in the runs, you got to manufacture. You'll take a bases loaded hit by pitch. You'll take a wild pitch and and you'll you'll take your two runs and get out of there. And that's what Alabama was able to do. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Great job by Autumn Storms. But that being said, I thought in game number one, Alabama offensively did a heck of a job against both of ours SEC midseason pitcher of the year in Mary Half, Alabama Chaser. It was incredible. A Mary Half. I mean, she didn't have it that day. And Alabama, when she did have something, Alabama was able to hit her. And it was really impressive to see the offense do what they did in game one. Three offensive players hit over 300, Brown, Tao, and Woodard, which, I mean, let's take a look at who's not mentioned there. Hempill, one for nine in the series. Alexis Mack, one for eight. That's a combined two for 17 in a series that Alabama won from your two best batting averages in conference play or I guess on the season, I should say, entering the weekend. That's what you have to be able to do because we've talked about it. Alabama's offense, especially without Bailey Dowling, is not going to be one that's just going to go out there and mash and score 10 runs a game. You're not going to be able to compare Alabama to, say, Oklahoma's offense. They're, they're two totally different things. But what this Alabama offense does 
is get the hits when you need them, is able to manufacture if necessary, is able to kind of keep innings alive. Even when you're having a game like you had in game three, Alabama only scored the two runs and, you know, one was via an RBI you know, hit by pitch, like I said. Alabama still had seven hits. So Alabama was keeping the pressure on Arkansas, forcing them to make a mistake, and that's what eventually happened. And, you know, that's the type of offense this is going to have to be, uh, and it's going to be – I think it's going to be good enough to uh, to put Alabama uh, pretty close, if not in in the uh, the conference championship race. You mentioned the RBI hit by pitch. That was by – I guess we're going to call her option J, Jenna Johnson, <laughs> cleared yeah. for not only to run but to field, to hit – and apparently get hit. It was great to see Jenna back in the lineup, one for one on the weekend. She had that RBI. Abby Dor, a real pleasant surprise in game three. Mm-hmm. You know, Lexi Kilfoyle just wasn't seeing Autumn Storms very well in game two. Three strikeouts. She couldn't seem to figure out that drop inside. So Patrick Murphy kind of took a flyer with Abby Dor. Not really a flyer, but she had one hit all year. And then she had right. another one on Sunday. And now you feel like it's not just option A or option B with Kilfoyle and Grill. Now it's A, right. B, C, D, JK, LMNO. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> there, there's several options now. You know, that a lot of the, you know, we talked about the option one uh, with Kilfoyle, but a lot of that was based on when Jenna Johnson is still hurt. Once Jenna Johnson comes back and is able to play, uh, can can field can run which which she seems to be cleared now to be able to do everything uh that kind of opens up for several other options to be available it was great to see abby door come in and take that opportunity patrick murphy said that you know she had the home run against north alabama and she had been very very consistent in batting practice had been hitting the ball really well wanted to give her the opportunity on sunday in that type of spot and Abby Dor came through. I, I thought those were three of her best played appearances all year. Oh, I thought it was uh, her best game of the year by far. And it yeah. maybe her the best game she's had in her career. I mean, even, yeah. even the home run game against Liberty in 2020, I think she struck out twice before hitting the home run. Right. So I, I thought I thought she had shown a lot of maturity and a lot of you know just improvement at the plate, even you know, against an autumn Sorms that was still pitching really, really well was able to get those hits and kind of gives you an added option because if Abby Dore can just do enough at the plate to be a viable option, now you're, now you're giving an opportunity for maybe Bailey Hemphill can get a, can get a conference game off as far as behind the plate. You can start Abby Dore catching and then either put Hemphill at first and DP Tau, or you can keep Tau at first and DP Hemphill. You can kind of move some things around that you just weren't able to do when you could not really count on door to do a whole lot at the plate. So if you're able to get something from her, it opens up a whole few, a whole new thing of options for Patrick Murphy. The other thing I wanted to touch on before we move to this week, Sarah Cornell came on in relief in game two, looked really strong, couple strikeouts, a pop-up. And I think it's another good sign, another solid relief outing from a Goodman, Cornell and Torrance, which you know, we have seen them appear more and more as the conference play, as the conference season has gone on. And maybe we're in a situation this upcoming weekend where in game three, Patrick Murphy, if, you know, Montana Fouts or Kilfoyle isn't pitching particularly well, maybe he wants to give a different look against the Gators. And I think those three, and especially Cornell, have proven that they deserve that chance and can perform well in those circumstances if necessary. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, the depth of the pitching staff is still there. 
there just hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity for the the Cornells and, and the Goodmans and, and the Torrances to get in in conference play. Uh, but when they have gotten in, I think they've shown themselves to be very capable to give another look. Sarah Cornell has had great success against Florida in the past. So the, it's I think the options are still very much there for Patrick Murphy to, to move some things around. And any three of those in relief, I think, will be perfectly good. This week, Alabama State on Wednesday. Now, I will say this on the coach's call today with Patrick Murphy. He mentioned weather. I'm I'm not surprised at all that that yeah, game shocking. might not happen. It's Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday. <laughs> Although the last the last uh, forecast that I saw said that most of the rain is going to be in the morning and early afternoon, and it may clear for okay. the evening. So I'm hoping I, that'll be the case. I like to hear that. I enjoy working and I think it would be fun because in this game, you know, you're not getting a Kilfoyle or a Fouch. You're going to get a Torrance, a Goodman or a Cornell. And mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of options for it. I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw all three, just, you know, give everybody a couple innings maybe to, you know, mm-hmm. flex the muscles and, and work a little bit. But all in all, I think Wednesday will be a good primer for this weekend because the Florida Gators are coming to town, Tom. And the impact of this series cannot be overstated. First of all, what a one-two punch. Arkansas last week, Florida this weekend. Mm. And you could make the case that the loser of this series, Tom, is out of the SEC championship race. I don't know if if completely out, but definitely behind the eight ball. What Alabama did against Arkansas kept Alabama in it. It, it It brought Arkansas to striking distance of both Alabama and Florida. So... You know, it, it really does. It gives whoever wins this game, wins this series, kind of the the inside track on being able to catch Arkansas if they are ha- happen to falter down the stretch. And I hope the three teams that Arkansas will be playing will watch the film and see what Alabama did and try to duplicate that. Uh, that would be awesome if day number two, Autumn Storms, instead of All American Autumn Storms, would like to show up a couple of times. That would be helpful. Um, so, so there's. You know, I think Arkansas still, you know, there's still a little bit of that. They haven't been there before. So there's still a little bit of that there. And you can see it this past weekend a little bit. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that these other teams will take advantage of that. But that being said, no one has won this conference, but Alabama and Florida in in, in over a decade. So it's, it's usually who comes down to who wins this series is who wins the conference. I don't see that being a whole lot different this year. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Top top five matchup between the Tide and the Gators at home. A day on Saturday, fifty percent capacity. Capacity, yeah, we had fifty percent. So it's going to be it's going to be you know loud. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, looking forward to it. I will say I enjoy doing TV. I'm actually it's it's really like I, I can't even express how excited I am to get to do TV for Alabama, Florida. Like that's. That makes me, yeah, that's awesome. Like, it's just, it's beyond words to me, but I really kind of wish I was in the stadium. (laughs) The broadcast bunker just isn't the same. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Pitching rotation. I think this past weekend, if anything, just kind of confirmed that it'll probably be Fouts, Kilfoyle, Fouts. But yeah, I, I think Montana twice, it's, it's an impossible thing to ignore. And, her stuff was even better in game two. So if you're worried about a a team making adjustments, clearly Fouts can make adjustments herself. I think that should be the pitching rotation with obviously Cornell, Goodman, Torrance, all ready to go just in case. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty much solidified. Kilfoyle still having the issue with giving up the long ball, gave up three homers against Arkansas. Uh, you got to work on that, got to get that back to where she was earlier on in the year uh, because Florida will definitely make you pay right now. There's not many people hotter in the con- in the country than Eccles and Adams as well, as you know, on, on the out-of-the-box fantasy team, getting you points all over the place. You need to I'm shut starting that down. her this weekend, so well, it's – yeah. Well, you started Burnside, yes, last weekend. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully anything that she gets will be insignificant. But yeah, there's that that offense, you can't be a little bit off. Uh, so hopefully Montana Fouts can get out there, get two wins uh, or get two really strong starts, uh, Kilfoyle in the middle. And, you know, those these are type of games, you know, you're going to need Lexi Kilfoyle in these type of games moving forward. So I don't think you overall panic about it, but you, 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 you'll need for her to figure out what the issue is with the home runs. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of lineup, we saw Patrick Murphy tweak the order a little bit. I mean, Claire Jenkins at one point was down in the eight spot, which, Mm -hmm. you know, if her average in conference play is still going to be barely above a hundred, it makes sense to do that. I think at this point, the biggest discussion about who should be in the lineup is obviously the option debate. And I think, you know, Kilfoyle, Johnson, Dorr, they all provide reasonable options if I had to go with what my gut would say, I think it would be Jenna Johnson if she is fully cleared and 100% ready to go. Uh, if not, Kilfoyle. But I mean, if if Jenna's ready, you know she's hitting over 300 for a reason, and she is. Yeah. Uh, she was the player that Patrick Murphy seemed to believe in the most coming into the year because at, from the start of the season, he was trying to find ways to make sure she was in the lineup. And as we always say, we trust the all uh, the Hall of Famer's judgment. Sure. Oh yeah. That being said, though, I still want to see Kilfoyle in the lineup because she will need to, you know, figure out how to hit in these type of big situations. So I, I don't think you you totally take her out, but there's, as I said, there's so many more options now with with a healthy Jenna Johnson and improved Abby Dore. You know, I, I still don't think Cat Grill is out of the out of the conversation either, as far as getting getting in the game. If if you think slapping slapping is the way to go, you know, Grill might be the one to put in. Um, also, we saw Jenna Johnson come in as a defensive replacement uh, for Alexis Mack, who did not have the best weekend at the plate in the field pretty much anywhere. We'll see yeah, how that moves. I don't think you take Mack out of the lineup. That being, you know, I, I think she just had a bad weekend. That happens. So I don't know if you make too many changes based on what happened this past weekend, uh, but there are some more options. It's just going to be so fun. It's it's such an oh, interesting yeah. week, such a huge series. It means so much in so many different ways. I mean, high level, high level of softball. Oh yeah, we've got we've got Scarborough on the call. We've got ESPN two and Game two, and it's just it's going to be so fun. Although I don't know if ESPN if we need to be on the national television, uh, that doesn't seem to work out as well for Alabama. But maybe maybe we break that curse here this weekend. Four and five this year when Alabama's on national television. <laughs> If people don't ever watch SEC Network Plus or any of these other things and they only see Alabama on national television, they're say, what's the big deal? Why are they number three? <laughs> My gosh, they're not that good. But I promise you, we're pretty good. They're just it's just we've had we've had our five worst games have been on national television. Unfortunately, that's the way the cookie crumbles, but it, it's no, gonna sure. be such a fun weekend, Tom. <laughs> that's what you know, all, all the regionals, super regionals and world series, that's on national television. So we gotta get it, we gotta get over it. <laughs> that's right i i highly doubt sydney and i will get the call to do the tuscaloosa regional <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
glad uh, glad someone else will be in the booth with me. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, <laughs> that's us at the plate. It's time to advance the first. Tom, who are we? Uh, a lot of options. Who should we be? I think we need a shout out, as we talked about uh, with Patrick Murphy, we need to shout out Savannah Woodard. Yes. Really good weekend, a homer on Friday, played an excellent second base, and really just she continues to improve too, uh, replacing Bailey Dowling. So I'm very, I've been very impressed with Savannah Woodard. Game threes are her thing. That's going to be one of my stats. Look out for that on Sunday. <laughs> Ooh, looking forward to it. So we're Savannah Woodard. We have put it in play, and it is time to advance to first. When we get back, a big weekend in the SEC, Tom. I mean, what is going on? Auburn wins a series. LSU is hot once again. The wonders never cease. <laughs> South Carolina won a game. Oh, right, that. We'll talk about all of it in just a minute when we get back here on the Out of Box Podcast. Welcome back. It's time to advance the first. That is Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. Let's talk about the SEC, shall we? We kept, we kept track of it. We did. Might you know, well. the Out of the Box Podcast scoreboard updates were very active because we had some early games and late games. So I feel like we were either talking about all the games as they started or talking about everything that happened as they finished. It was quite something. Mm-hmm, it was. And we will start with the Battle of the Tigers. So I took Missouri two out of three. I felt good about it, Tom. Felt real good about yeah, it. Yeah. You sure. took LSU two out of three. I said to myself, as you made that pick on this show last week, oh, here we go. I'm making up some ground. I did not mm. make up ground. <laughs> you were JT on hole 13 is what you were. Okay, ouch. That hurts me in a lot of ways. LSU takes two out of three. Game twos and game two and game three, a doubleheader on Sunday, outscoring Missouri by a combined 16 to seven. Game three in particular was impressive. Missouri at one time led that five to one and 11 unanswered runs for LSU. Allie Kilponen looked really strong all weekend long. I mean, I'm going to talk about this with Scarborough later, but I want to ask you, Tom, is this the turning point for LSU? Because this weekend they go to NC State, and then they've got at Kentucky and Arkansas, two very tough conference series coming down the pipe with Auburn to close. But, you know, Kentucky and Arkansas are the key ones. I hope it is because Alabama would need LSU to do some helping with that Arkansas series. But I don't know because I've said before, you know, I kind of felt like it was a turning point for LSU when they took two or three from Texas and then they turn right around. So I'm going to need to see them sustain this for, you know, NC state's not going to be an easy, easy win this weekend. So I'm going to need to see them sustain a little bit more before I declare that it's the turning point for LSU. Concerns about Missouri, two straight losses to LSU. And then we're recording this super late at night, much later than usual. Tom had a very busy day. And unusually, that gives us a chance to take in all of the Tuesday midweek games. A part of that was Kansas stunning Missouri four to three. That's now three straight losses for the Tigers. And one is to Kansas, who is better than normal, but also still probably going to be last in the Big 12. Also still Kansas. Yeah, Uh, Are are we throwing up the red flags right now? Who do they have this weekend? Mississippi State. Well, it's a chance to get healthy if you're Missouri there because, yeah, Mississippi State's really struggling still. But that being said, you know, it's possible, but at the same time, they had a bad day against LSU because it was a doubleheader on the same day. 
Kansas is a rivalry. So it could have been a, you know, a one-off type situation for Kansas. I guess just got really hyped for that matchup. Uh, so I'll see, you know, if they lose one or even the series to Mississippi state, then maybe, yeah, there's some red flags throwing up, but I think right now you can still kind of hold the, uh, hold the line. If you're Missouri, Tom, I like how rational you are. It's a nice change of pace <laughs> from most of the comments I see in softball. <laughs> yeah, I try. I try. Try, well, try to stay even keel. Well, you were rational in that conversation. You were as hype, as energetic as I've ever seen this past weekend, because as well as Alabama, Arkansas was going, there was also WrestleMania. And that <laughs> is a big event for Tom Canterbury and for many people across this great country. I certainly sure. learned a lot this weekend. I was going to say, did you enjoy uh, Bad Bunny? That's the most important thing. Bad Bunny was awesome. Bad Bunny. Yes. I didn't (laughs) like the devil reincarnate or whatever was going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The fiend was kind of scary, but uh, yeah, I was so glad that that the bad buddy match was the one that was on when most people were around us at the hotel (laughs) because people that aren't wrestling fans could at least, Oh, it's bad buddy. So yeah. So that, yeah, you know, the Miz he's on, a lot of stuff. Everyone knows the Miz. So uh, that was fun. I was glad people got to watch that one. Yes. Everyone knows the Miz. (laughs) But I bring it up because it Uh it is very difficult to pry the eyes of Tom Canterbury away from WrestleMania, except one thing did briefly. And that was game two of the Kentucky Georgia series. Tom, you were watching WrestleMania. I was providing updates. And then all of a sudden I said, holy crap, brought the computer over to you. And we watched the end of that game too, where Georgia came back from eight, one down with Kentucky having the winning run in the fifth inning on third base for a nine, eight Bulldogs win. Just an incredible game. Unbelievable. And as we say, strange things happen in Lexington and they're not always positive for Kentucky. And uh, that's what happened there. Georgia came out of nowhere because game number one, the truth struggled. I'll read her line. How about that? Yeah. Four and a third, 10 hits, 11 runs, all earned, three walks and three strikeouts. I think Kayla Bro said it was one of, if not the worst games in her entire career. And Georgia somehow won game two. And then Avant came back in game three and threw a two-run right. victory that's what I'm saying is that, you know, not only did Kentucky have all the momentum there in game number two, they had blown out Georgia in game number one. Uh, and this was a double header because they had a, a rain out on, on Saturday. So they played the double header on Sunday before the Monday game. And, you know, so they had no reason to think that they were going to be able to come back in that game where I was able to get the final out in the fifth inning. So it was only a seven run lead. And then just to have that type of a seventh inning, it, it can yeah, it's one of those games especially as we saw what happening in game number three with Georgia winning that can be a turning point game for both those teams you know it, it can it can elevate Georgia and it could really kind of send Kentucky into a tailspin yeah and you know who Georgia's got this weekend Arkansas come on you bulldogs it's time Hunker for the down. truth to rise up yes Yes, it, it was a great series. It was one of the more entertaining series I've tracked in a long time. And I can't believe I'm saying that after game one was a run rule. But Right. That's crazy. But that's that's one of the reasons why college softball is the best. Because this know, type of stuff that can happen. A- absolutely. And speaking of crazy, as I could just continue the fire segues, Tom, South Carolina won a game. But they wow. lost a series to Ole Miss. But they won a game. And in they run rule fashion. Yeah. 
won a game. Bev Smith gets a contract extension. It's a, it's a big week for South Carolina. Good job on your one and 11 start here in the conference. I don't want to pile on South Carolina because I do want <laughs> Bev Smith back on the show and we do media days, but sure. We do it like was, that, but. yeah. I mean, they got run ruled in game one by Ole Miss. Ole Miss, by the way, I'm, are they, where are they tracking on the Enigma meter? How do you, how do you feel about the rebels? They, I think they, because can, because Texas A&M has kind of fallen off a little bit in the Enigma meter, uh, Kentucky as well. I mean, Ole Miss is, is moving up to the middle, if not the top middle of the Enigma category. And we say that with Ole Miss currently sitting at sixth place in the SEC, or I guess tied for fifth, tied with LSU, but LSU won that series right. a couple weeks back. I, you know, I think Ole Miss is really proving to be a pleasant surprise and mm-hmm. their pitching staff does the job. Their offense, you know, is inconsistent, which I think is what you would expect from Ole Miss. But when they have good days, it's a really good day. Right. Yeah. So uh, it is one of those where when you were looking, say, at Alabama's schedule at the beginning of the year, you weren't really thinking a whole lot of the last series of the year being against Ole Miss, thinking, well, th- those might be three you can go ahead and put in your pocket. Uh, not the case at this point. I think they're playing extremely well, uh, much higher than our, our preseason uh, shots would have put them. Absolutely. One more big SEC series we want to talk about, and unfortunately we couldn't talk about Tennessee, Mississippi State, but the Bulldogs will be coming up in just a bit. Auburn, finally, for just the love of all that is good, gave Shelby Lowe some help, threw her in games one and three, and Tom, they won the series. I yeah. who could have seen that coming. What, what do you think? They go to College Station, win game one, six to two. They lose game two, but Lowe pitches another gem on Sunday, and the Tigers win 3-1 over the Aggies. I think maybe the bigger story here actually is that A&M has A&M. now yeah. lost six of seven, which just I didn't see coming. But I think either way, a very telling series for both teams and kind of where they are right now when their pitching staff is pitching well. Yeah. Well, I think the main thing was Auburn got past the Okay. Now us winning will not help Alabama. So let's go ahead and try it. I think it's pretty much what they did, but yeah, that, you know, all you have to do, you don't have to give her a whole lot of offense, but you got to give her some, and that's what they were able to do against A&M. You know, that's against Arkansas. They just had no, no answer for, which I can kind of understand now, now having seen both half and storms in person <laughs> that, well, I can understand not being able to hit, especially when you have, a lineup that doesn't scare you at all like Auburn does. So, but you know, if, if you can give her just a little bit of, of help, uh, low can pitch you to some series victories. And that's what she did. Finally, before we get to the FGCL corner, Mississippi state, they can't play Tennessee because of COVID. So what do they do? They go to Ruston to play Louisiana tech and Oklahoma. They get run ruled by Oklahoma. They no hit Louisiana tech. Just the Mississippi State season in one weekend, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I I think that's about the best possible result if you're Mississippi State. I know you were hoping they wouldn't throw Willis against LaTeX and would hold her for Oklahoma, but I think if you were Samantha Ricketts and you're looking at that weekend, you were thinking we have to beat LaTeX because even if even if we play our one and 100 A plus game, we could still very easily lose to Oklahoma. If we play anything less than that, we're going to get run ruled. So let's make sure we beat La Tech. They threw their best pitcher. She threw a no-hitter. 
and then just throw everybody else at Oklahoma and hope somebody has a, a great game. It didn't happen. And uh, I think you, you've done about all you can do if you're willing to play Oklahoma on a two days notice that Mississippi State was. I mean, good for them. They beat yeah. Sanford tonight, so that's fine. You know, it was just another weekend, and that's kind of how you take it. And how uh, how about we give away another award, Tom? We did so many last week. Let's do one more for this show. How about that? This is not a boxy. This is our, our normal every week that's award right. given out. It's the FGCL corner and the FGCL player of the week. As usual, I have six names. We've got eight winners already. Mm-hmm. Only one repeat winner. We, I don't think we'll have one this week. Yeah, no, these are all non-winners. These are all new. So how about we, how about we dive into it? All right. Speaking of Alabama's midweek opponent, our first nominee, Jasmine Dodd, Alabama State, seven for 15, three RBIs, three doubles, two walks, a strikeout, and six runs scored. Very Good nice. Good performance. Yeah. Neely Herring, Wichita State. By the way, newly ranked in, I think, most polls now. I, I know in the yeah. coaches poll, Wichita State, which congratulations to them. I just say, hated to see that Wichita State wasn't able to play their game with Oklahoma this week because of uh, weather. Eventually, they'll play again at some point. Yeah, they'll play. I'm sure they will. <laughs> Neely Herring on the week, seven of nine, two RBIs, a home run, two doubles, five walks, six runs scored, had the walk-off two-run homer to secure a run rule against Houston in game three. So good job, Neely. Yeah, heck of a performance. Claire Ginder from Furman, six of 17 on the weekend, four RBIs, a home run, a double, three walks, four strikeouts, four runs scored in game two against Sanford, had the two RBI double in the seventh to secure the 5-3 victory. Good job, Claire Ginder. We've got Lizzie Schubert from Stetson, five of 13, three RBIs, a home run, three doubles, a walk, three strikeouts, two runs scored. Had a three-run homer in the bottom of the sixth against Kennesaw to take a 6-5 lead. Kennesaw would come back and tie it. Stetson would end up winning 7-6, but that Schubert home run was what put Stetson back in the driver's seat in that game. Jenny Jansen, Southern Illinois, three for 10, four RBIs, two homers, a walk, two runs scored. Had the walk-off two-run homer in the bottom of the seventh in game one against Evansville. And finally, walk-offs this week. Oh yeah, and <laughs> this one is good too. Emma Hawthorne, Northwestern State, four for seven, three RBIs, two doubles, a run scored. Had basically for the most part this season been the tenth person in the Northwestern State lineup because they've got a lot of pitchers who can hit for themselves. So Hawthorne mm-hmm. has been playing in the field and not hitting. She got to hit some this weekend. Had those numbers, and also in Game Three had the two RBI single in the sixth to secure Northwestern State's 5-4 win, or I guess 5-4 lead at the time, against Lamar in game three. So a lot of people who had a really big impact on their team this week, Tom, and now you get to pick two to uh, be up for the prize of FGCL Player of the Week. All right. Well, I am going to go with, I think, because the batting average is just uh, amazing for this week. And she had some big hits. I'm going to go with Neely Herring from Wichita State. And I am going to go because of the dramatics, the walk-off homer, I'll go Jenny Jansen. Ooh, wow. Jenny and Neely sliding in. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I think the average speaks for itself. Let me whip out the calculator here, Tom. (laughs) Seven divided by nine is seven, seven, eight. It's good. Yeah. Neely Herring is your FGCL player of the week. Boom. 
plus the five walks. So our OBP has got to be like around eight, 900 for the weekend for the week. And this is not Bailey Hempill I'm reading. This is Neely right, Herring, yeah. Wichita state, your FGCL player of the week. Good job. Congratulations. All right, Tom, what is that over there? Do you see it through the more and more people entering road stadium as capacity expands here in Alabama? Yes. Very excited to steal second. Yes. It's the sign for Patrick Murphy. We've got the great Amanda Scarborough coming back. She's on the call this weekend. We do a lot of previewing with Alabama and Florida. We talk about Arkansas Scarborough and I go on a lot of side tangents about the NCAA tournament and just a lot of different things. So it's a very fun interview. Hope all of you check it out. Tom, I'm ready to go. I have the green light guys. Let's, let's rile it up. Let's go. Let's the arms are pumping. <laughs> Rating. I, I will slide head first if necessary. <laughs> it's slower, but good luck. <laughs> all right. It's time to steal a second. We get back. Amanda Scarborough will join the show. That's next here on the out of the box podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Ray Robertson. Tom Canterbury is actually not here right now. The second time ever I've done an interview by myself in the Stealing Second segment of the show. The first was with the legendary Stephanie Van Brakel Pro Throw back in 2019. And now we've got another pitcher. It is ESPN analyst, former Texas Aggie, member of the Seven Innings podcast. She's on the call for Alabama, Florida this weekend. She's commissioner, I think. For the D1 Softball Fantasy League. She's Amanda Scarborough. Welcome back, Scarborough. How are you? Am I, are you ever really a former Aggie? Or are you just always an Aggie, though? That's my question for you. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Are you asking me because you think I know the answer? Or because you I don't, know I I'm know I'm just throwing I it out there. <laughs> are you a former Crimson Tide member? Or whatever you guys hmm. call You know, like, are you always a Crimson Tide? That's a fair question. Well, we might put that out on Twitter. We'll pull it. <laughs> food for thought as you said it is like but am I former or am I that's a tough one I don't know hello I'm just happy to be here (laughs) well before we dive into this weekend and obviously I want to talk a lot about Alabama Florida because this is a huge series for a lot of reasons but Tom did want me to ask you about being commissioner of the D1 fantasy softball league I guess the unofficial commissioner you're kind of also on Jen's team, which I'm not sure how legal that is, but either way, how, how have you enjoyed, how much have you enjoyed kind of being a part of this? Because I know for me, the group text is my favorite part of every week. Yeah. The group text is awesome and it brings 408 text every minute. Um, so it's hard to like keep up with life and the group text. Um, 
but it's been fun. I feel like we've had so many good laughs because of it and bringing together just such good people. So it's been fun to kind of be a fly on the wall and the aspect of like actually playing the game, but also thinking about, okay, this is what fantasy football does. How can we kind of bring that same feel from fantasy football into softball to make it fun, not make it be too overwhelming with all the different stats that we have in softball um, and make it competitive. So I feel like we're off to a good start and we always have room for growth and we'll continue to grow. Hopefully if this continues on like in years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I will look to grow from my regular season performance into the playoffs because team out of the box four and oh, just Want to put that I in know. There. Well, I was going to say, you can't grow too much considering that you're undefeated. You've put together a good team. It's very SEC heavy, which <laughs> I pointed out from the very beginning. But, you know, like that was your strategy, right? Was to get the big name players and the big name teams. And it's paying off so far. So we'll see how you do in the postseason. I don't know. I, I will credit you. You did call me out immediately and said, great. Everyone in your lineup either currently plays or played previously on an SEC roster. And I just kind of shrugged. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yes, that is a fact indeed, but here we are. <laughs> All right. Let's talk Alabama, Florida. You're on the call for Saturday, Sunday. You're going to be watching on Friday. Sid and I are on the call for that. And um, I am just one, like super honored to even be doing one game of this series. And I know you're super excited to get to call two of these. This series means so much in the sec. The last 12 champions have been either Alabama or Florida. Um, and they both come in pretty hot. Alabama just took two in Fayetteville, a top 10 team, uh, Arkansas, number one in the SEC right now. And Alabama was able to win games one and three in that series. What are your takeaways from the Tides trip up to Fayetteville? And, and what are you expecting to see carry over from that series to this weekend? You know, I like to see, or what stood out to me about Alabama was just how consistent I felt like they played from the beginning of the series until the end. And of course, being able to have that grit, like Coach Murphy talks about from Montana, but I really felt it. I thought throughout the whole team, they just didn't give in. It's hard to win on the road in the SEC. And I don't care where you're playing at. I mean, to be able to, to win a series on the road is always big, but nevertheless, to be able to do it with pressure on you, because you know where you are in the standings next to an undefeated Arkansas team. I mean, you're, you're playing with pressure because you want to win. You want to be a champion. And that's what Alabama has done. I mean, if you go to, and play at Alabama, you're expecting to get an SEC championship almost every year. It's just the expectation. So um, I love the way that they fought. I thought that Montana looked so locked in and so strong, especially on Sunday. I thought that her ball was moving some of the best that I've really seen it move all year, especially her rise ball. She got so many chases on her rise ball and that's what really stuck out to me. And I think that's how you can tell too, when she's throwing well is if she's been able to get chases and swings and misses on her rise ball. And she did. Um, so that stuck out to me and just figuring out a way to win Gray, I mean, on Sunday they had a hit by pitch RBI and then a wild pitch to be able to score the second run. So not every game will look the same, but just good teams are going to figure out ways to win. And I think that Alabama did that last weekend. I like that you brought up the chases because I thought certainly in game one, Arkansas's game plan seemed to be, okay, let's be patient with Montana. Let's try and make her make a mistake and then we'll pounce. And Arkansas, obviously one of the best power teams in the country and the best in the SEC. But even with Arkansas not swinging very much and even with them being really patient and forcing her to throw more walks than usual, she was still able to get those swings and misses. And I thought, like you said, that was just really impressive from her. 
Well, and that's how she can get away with walking six in a game. I think it was, you know, of course you're going to, you're going to pitch around some people like Burnside and, and you're going to have to pitch a little bit more careful understanding that Arkansas has a lot of power. So I think those walks are going to come. So credit Arkansas for taking some pitches, but at the same time, whenever runners got on base, she just, and most good pitchers are going to be this way. You feel like your back is against the wall and you're going to step up and be able to throw your best pitches of the game. And she did that. So I thought it was just really, really a strong game and just a great weekend by her overall to be able to take momentum in this weekend against Florida. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Florida second in the sec right now, you know, 19 was kind of a struggle in conference play 20. We saw them do well, but a lot of people were kind of wary. Is this a for real Florida team? Now we're looking at the 2021 version. They're again, really interesting. I, they can't seem to figure out if they want to score 15 runs in a game or just win a game one, nothing. How strong is this year's squad for Tim Walton comparatively to some of the other teams in years past that we've seen from Gainesville? Wow, that's so hard to say because it's like each roster that he has, he finds a way to win with them. So maybe it won't be the sexy hundred home run teams that he's had or a Kelly Barnhill national player of the year in the circle way, you know, like they're not any of that (laughs) this year at all, but they still find ways to win. And I think when I think of Florida, I go to their pitching staff and how they each give a different look. And this year they have owned it. Katie Cronister has owned it. Natalie Lugo has owned it. Elizabeth Hightower. They have each owned their role in the pitching staff and they've completely bought into it to where they're still one of the best pitching staffs in the SEC. And then to boot, they consistently, no matter what year it's been since 2013, Gray, Florida has been in the top four in fielding percentage in the country every single year. So that's been the consistency that they've relied on, no matter if they hit that. Well, actually when they were hitting hundred home runs, they didn't really have that great fielding percentage, but ever since then, that's been a tradition in their program to have that good defense that keeps them in game. So they're strong, but again, I'll, I'll use that word. They're just not sexy. They're not a sexy team, but they figure out a way to win because Tim Walton and his coaching staff make their teams so bent or like, just so they're not going to beat themselves. So like they pay attention to details. They rarely beat themselves and it's really hard to beat them because of their mm-hmm. great defense. I know you've caught a lot of Florida games this year, at least a, a couple. I don't want to say a lot because the schedules have been so strange this year. You're calling a lot of games, every game from home, Elizabeth Hightower. Is she ready for this? Is she ready to go into Tuscaloosa and if necessary, shut down a top five Alabama offense, a top five Alabama team twice in one weekend to get a series win. I don't think that she will like, not that I don't think that she will be ready as you phrased it, but I don't think that that will end up happening. Um, I, I could see Hightower throwing one game or starting one game, Lugo starting another game and then Cronister starting another. And then potentially on that third game, just using everybody out of their bullpen. So maybe she'll come out again. Um, you know, I saw that I called their game against Georgia and Hightower wasn't a good matchup for Georgia's swings. So a lot of it has to do with being matchup, matchup based of who Tim is going to throw more that weekend. Lugo is going to be more curve and change. Chronister is going to be more down and in coming from the left-hand side. So he get he has the ability to play matchups because their pitching staff, they just all complement each other and, and really just, again, have their own strengths. And I think he plays into that a lot every single weekend. 
Which offense in your mind has the edge this weekend? Because to me, there are a lot of similarities, you know, kind of more or less run by the top half of the lineup. Florida's got Eccles, Lindemann, Adams, Alabama's Tau, Hemphill, Mack, Sides, Alyssa Brown in a nine spot. And I guess Florida had Lindsay, although Tim Walton's moved her up of late. But which offense do you think has the edge here in this series this weekend? And because such a big part of Alabama's offense is their speed and Florida's defense has notoriously been so locked down and good. I, I want to say that Florida's offense has the edge, um, 15 of their 33 home runs have come in the last 10 games. So that it seems like offensively they're starting to see the ball well and, and drive the ball. Um, and I also love, I mean, it, there's this whole aspect, the fact that Montana Fouts and Kilfoyle played with coach Walton on the U19 junior women's national team, team USA. So he knows her really well. Charlotte Eccles was on that team. Julia Cottrell was also on that team, as well as a couple of other players that will be on the field, Bailey Dowling, Riley Trilicek. I mean, there's a whole handful group of players that were on that team, but at the same time, coach Walton, I think is going to use that to his advantage and the players on his team. So maybe they have a bit of an upper hand. I don't, this is all a guessing game. They're two great teams going at it, but maybe they have a little bit of an upper hand going against Montana and Lexi mm, or faced both of them before and seen them pitch a lot. Wow. I hadn't actually thought about that, but you're right. I mean, there are so many people in this series who played all together in Ireland just a couple summers ago. Wow. Yeah. I, but it, it, it's so, I, I don't know. It's, they're really even, you know, like neither one of these teams just have offenses that are like an Oklahoma offense or even like a, like Texas is having a great year scoring a ton of runs, you know, like they're not like that. So um, I don't, I think this will be a really close matched series and close match, close match games. I'm really excited to see it. I know you're excited to call it this weekend as Amanda Scarborough joins us here on the out of the box podcast. Amanda, I did want to touch briefly on Arkansas. They did get the one win against Alabama this past weekend. Autumn storms looked like all American autumn storms. I mean, she was hitting her spots. She was getting the chases. Her drop ball had some wicked movement, maybe more so than I can remember in her career. And they really hadn't been tested very much, quite frankly, before this Alabama series. So even in the series loss to you, did Arkansas prove that, yeah, they can win the SEC this year? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you you look at teams, um, not Florida and Alabama, because they've been at the top, but you look at other teams who find themselves at the top of the standings in any year, and you think, are they a pretender or are they an actual contender? And I, I think that they're a contender. I really do. I was really impressed. And I love the way that Storms and Half complement each other in the circle of Storms. I totally, I saw the same thing with her drop ball just being unbelievable. Uh, Coach Murphy told us that he felt like she was throwing harder this year compared to last year as well. So I felt like because they are so strong in the circle together and they had some really great at bats too. They put pressure on Alabama a lot, got runners on, like they're, they were in it. They really were it just that last game on Sunday, the hit by pitch wild pitch, just crazy that that's what it came down to, but it was very, very evenly matched. I thought as well. So they're at the top for a reason. I was stunned by the defense because I mean, for the last couple of years, the Arkansas defense had been just horrendous. I mean, horrific shield, the eyes like four errors every game. And they were making diving catches. Danielle Gibson made a a stop at first that kept Lexi Kilfoyle from having an RBI double. I mean, it was, it was really impressive. The turnaround, just that whole team has had, we knew the pitching was good, but the offense and defense have really stepped up this year. 
I know. It just seems like they really enjoy each other and they have a great culture on that team. When you hear Courtney Dyfel talk about them, she's just glowing about them and just loving to coach them. And that really goes a long way. I feel like Alabama knows that better than anybody with the culture that they create year in and year out. So I, I feel like everybody has picked it up because they just love being on this team. They love playing with each other and they love competing and they can see how good they are when that happens and they play loose in all parts of the game. They can win a lot of games. I want to transition into another SEC school, another SEC team that you have broadcasted this year, and that is the Georgia Bulldogs. You are now privy to the nickname that I have for Mary Wilson Avant called The Truth, and you saw The Truth battling it out game one against Florida a couple weeks ago. Last night as we record, she was able to shut down Kentucky in game three of that series. Georgia is just another team that I can't really get a feel for. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, especially considering that Arkansas team we just talked about is going to Athens this weekend. Yeah, woo, that'll be a good one now, considering the fact that Georgia took two of three. Um, I think that the way that they play is still just very inexperienced, Georgia. Um, you're going to see that with their ups and downs. The two players that do have experience for them are Lacey Fincher and Mary Wilson Avant. And you can say some others on their pitching staff too, but not the same type of 150 plus innings of experience pitching for Georgia and doing well, right. Or a ton of at bats for them. So I think that you see their inexperience with their wins and losses and even some really good innings and some really bad innings, their defense worries me. They've committed a lot of errors and again, they can look great and they can look really bad. So I, I think that you just see the ups and downs of a very young team that will be very, very good in a couple of years with their position players. And if their pitching can just continue to grow and bring in some young arms, but this is a very young Georgia team and gray, I'm telling you in two years, three years, I think that that Georgia is going to be one of the contenders at the top of the sec shoot, maybe even next year when this group gets just one complete year of playing together. I will write that down. Amanda Scarborough yeah. calling it now. <laughs> but you know, Mary Wilson Avant is tricky. She threw that one hitter against Florida and the first game of their series and she looked great. And then there are other games where she got hit really hard in game one against Kentucky. So she has the ability to shut down some teams like she did against Florida and like she did against Kentucky. So for them to to go far into the postseason, which I'm sure they'll make a regional. It's just going to have to do with how well she'll throw. I mean, they'll go as, as far as she'll take them because they can hit the ball um, that, that you know, they can hit a lot of home runs. They have a little, a little bit of pop that they bring. Well, as someone said somewhere in a movie at one time, the truth is complicated. And I feel like the Mary Wilson <laughs> Avant, like you said, we just don't really know what we're getting, but man, when she's at her best, it is special to watch. Yeah. She has a lot of movement. She can change speeds and great. The thing is about her too. She can change her game plan. She has multiple different pitches. So kind of like how Montana is right. Like Montana can go more up in the zone with her rise ball. If that pitch is working and the game plan calls for it, or Mary Wilson Avant can use her drop ball. Like she did in game three to be able to get that series win. she was working down like a little bit away and mixing speed. So like she can change her game plan accordingly. And, uh, which is just hard to go up against. It's hard to prepare for too, if you're an offense. Amanda Scarborough joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. There are still a couple more things we need to get to from this past weekend before we dive into one of the big national series next weekend that's not happening in Tuscaloosa. I want to ask about LSU. I'm, I'm so confused. You know, I sometimes I seem to wonder if LSU is actually bad. Are they just okay? Are they really good? Are they elite? Is the pitching the problem? Is the hitting the problem? 
I don't know. What do you make of what LSU is? And do you feel like with those last two wins at Missouri this past weekend, they're kind of back on the up curve? I think that LSU has been through a lot with their schedule and I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say that they weren't prepared for it, but I don't think that they, for the schedule, I just don't think that they were prepared for like the emotional and confidence turns and twists that players will go through whenever they play that hard of a schedule. They have the number one strength of schedule. I don't foresee that changing. They play NC state and they have another, um, I think they have more games coming up too, but anyway, um, I, I, and I think it got to their confidence. Like they were taking these losses, their pitchers were getting hit hard. Their hitters were striking out or not coming through that really weighs on you. So as a coaching staff for LSU, they're constantly having to coach them up, constantly having to stay in their head to stay positive. And I think that they have a lot of talent. I do. I think that they have just been through some really hard moments in the season that nobody else can even compare to. Cause they don't have even have half as hard of a schedule as what LSU went through. But I think Gray went at the end of the day, when it really matters in May regionals, super regionals, this team is going to be ready and prepared more than any other team in the country. And I think that we're going to see them really step up and make some moves and be loud in the postseason. I really do. I, I can just feel it. If I asked you right now to pick one of the big four for LSU to pitch a game three of a series. Everybody's fully healthy. Everybody has the equal amount of rest. Which of the four are you picking? Allie Kilponen. I love her this year. Like without a doubt in my head, she's the one that comes to mind. And I think too, that's probably what they've figured out as the year has gone on is that all four of these pitchers went on Beth Trina, probably I'm just speaking for her. I've not talked to her about it, but thinking, all right, we're just going to split innings evenly between these four aces because we had a great pitching staff, best ERA in the country last year. We'll just split everybody evenly. Well, this year, not everybody has been built equally. They've gotten a lot of chances, but not everybody has thrown the same. So I think that that may have taken them by surprise of seeing like a, wow, we thought Shelby Wickersham was going to do a little bit better than this. And I thought Sinceri would be more shut down every single game instead of every other game. So I think that that maybe that's taken them by surprise and it's because of their tough schedule and the confidence issues. But I think Kilponen is throwing extremely well right now. And, and I, I like her. I love the way that she throws. Mm, I actually agree with you. I'm on board. I was team Wickersham, but this year it just hadn't quite worked out as well. Yeah, and, uh, and speaking of throwing well, by the way, Florida State, I y'all dropped a little interesting nugget in the Duke series this past weekend about how many games in a row Florida State hasn't allowed more than two runs. It's crazy what that pitching staff is doing right now. Yeah, I know. After they lost that game to Florida, um, they ended up playing Florida back-to-back days. They lost the first one, won the second one, and since then they've not given up more than two runs. That's a stat, right? All this stuff is blending in my head. Um Oh, but they just did a Duke, right? Like the last, oh my God, it was such a long weekend with weather delays. They ended up giving up three runs. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause then they, it came down to the bottom of the seventh walk off squeeze. So yeah, they, they've been playing well. I mean, FSU has a very strong defense back behind their pitchers and Kalen Arnold and Kat Sandercock and Danielle Watson have all gotten better. Like they have all grown so much since the season started. And you can tell like, but how weird is it that we're, when we talk about Florida state, we're talking about their pitching and defense and not their hitting. This is a team in 2019 hit 105 home runs, 115 stolen bases. Like what? 
And like in the year before that, when they won the national championship, they had 76 home runs and over a hundred stolen bases. So they have the speed component. They just don't have that power component. So they're learning to win in different ways. And they're learning the team identity of this team, trying not to compare it to other teams. We'll do that in the media, but they're not, they're owning the kind of scrappy gritty offense that they are being able to win in a walk-off squeeze play and just owning it and rolling with it and understand their pitchers will keep them in games. Well, you said the media will do the comparing. So, I mean, let's do the comparing. We're both in the media. Is Florida State a national championship contender? Can they be up there with those top five or six teams that we talk about that has a chance to win a title? No, I don't think so. And I, I mean, I think really highly of them and their program and, you know, their coaching staff and all the things. But I think that when you compare them to UCLA and Oregon and Oklahoma, I think that they're outmatched. And in their locker room, they're probably thinking it and they should be, and they can prove me wrong um, because that's what they're supposed to do is use this bulletin board material. Right. But I would say at this point, I don't see them winning a national championship, but still, I, I feel like they could get to the world series, which is a feat all in itself. Mm. You just mentioned two teams, Amanda Scarborough is joining us here on the stealing second portion of the show, UCLA and Oregon as possible national championship contenders. We saw them battle it out in Eugene last weekend. Brooke Yanez, again, just unhittable for some reason in game one, UCLA just could not figure her out. And really even in game two, they figured it out in the first inning. And then beyond that, she shut them down. I think again, we saw that Oregon is yes, very much for real and very formidable, and even though UCLA, quote unquote, won the series 3-1, 2-1 in the Pac-12 standings, I think you could count this past weekend as a win for Oregon as well, because they proved they can still hang with UCLA even a month later. Yeah, I mean, they're the only team that can say they've beaten UCLA twice this year. Um, and I, to me, that that first game felt like a must win for Oregon because UCLA had come off of two weeks because of COVID protocols. If you don't win that game, you ain't winning any other game for sure, because UCLA, you're going to knock off the rest. Like they started a little bit slow, just like what they did. So it's like, if you don't win that game, it's going to be really hard to find another one that you can win. So they did take advantage of, of a slow start to UCLA who kind of came out a bit lethargic, which I think is to be expected. It's tough to go two weeks without playing while the other team is getting all these good reps, but Brooke Yanez for sure is the real deal. Um, I think she could be, I think she could beat UCLA twice in a series where I think that that series went wrong for Oregon is the fact that they started Yanez in game one, she got the win and they started her in game two. I didn't like that decision. I wouldn't have thrown her at all on Saturday, saved her, let her rest, and then be able to come out and be the Brookianas that we saw on Friday night on Sunday and say, Hey, beat us now with the rested ace and let's do it for the, let's do it for the series. You know, like I mm -hmm. wish it would have come down to that instead of pitching her on back-to-back -back days like that. I didn't, and not only back-to-back -back days, but back-to-back -back games like that. I personally just don't usually like that. Same thing when I saw Autumn Storms coming out to pitch against Alabama on Sunday. I just don't like it. You're, you're trying to live up to the expectations of how well you threw the day before, and it's never going to be the same. It's, it's just not good. The team's going to be more prepared. They've had more looks. They've gone back, watched tape. You're trying to live up to what you did just Intern and subconsciously you're trying to do that. And it just never really works out. Like usually that pitcher, if they won the day before will lose the second game. And I swear it's because of that. So anyway, rant. No good side tangent. I agree. I, I turned on that game on, I guess it was Saturday, all the days blend together. And I looked at Tom and said, is that 
that's Brooke Yanez. Again, that seems, you know, hasty, I guess. <laughs> and you said she did well, but they got on her early. Like right. that's the risk that you take, you know, like, and there was more traffic against autumn storms too. So it's just, it's different. Like, I, I feel like it's, you want to do that as a coach. Like, okay, she did really good yesterday. Let's bring her out again. But I, if I was coaching that team, I would have brought her out for Sunday and gotten beat whatever on Saturday, thrown other people, but I would have saved her for Sunday. Speaking of getting beat, that is something Oklahoma has not done this year, but could it change this weekend? They host Texas. Amanda, I have looked at this series in a lot of different ways. Somebody who is, uh, I don't want to say close to Mike White, but has had a previous connection with Mike White, said that she firmly expects Texas to win a game against Oklahoma. I am iffy on that. Where are you on that? Did the Longhorns actually win a game in this series, or does Oklahoma continue the murderer's row tear of everyone in the entire country? I think that Oklahoma will win every game. Um, and I say that not because Texas isn't good. I feel like Texas is a team that nobody is really talking about, to be honest, and has kind of flown under the radar. Um, Shea O'Leary is a pitcher who's throwing hard and getting better um, and really has has become their ace, you know, after Miranda Elish left. So uh, I think that they can hit the ball too. I just, I worry about their defense. Like they've made so many errors and Oklahoma is going to pressure you. They're not going to strike out a lot. They're going to have a little bit of speed. They're going to hit the ball hard. Like a ground ball out is not the same off of Oklahoma's bat as it is off of Iowa state's bat. It's just not. So I, I think it's, it's really going to push Texas's defense. And I don't know if they're going to bend or if they're going to break. So that that's where my eyes are in, in that game, just wondering how their defense will handle everything. And that's something we've seen. I know Mississippi State in their game against Oklahoma, you know, two innings, it was scoreless. And the third, Oklahoma had the first two batters on via errors. And I think they ended up scoring eight runs in that third inning. So you just can't give Oklahoma stuff like that. No, you can't. They're going to be able to take advantage of it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised great to see Texas score some runs, but I don't think that they can outscore Oklahoma for three games, you know, like whether yeah. it's because of errors or just Oklahoma being Oklahoma, I don't see that happening. Yeah. But I, I mean, I haven't made a pick yet, Tom, and I will later in the show, but I am sitting Shannon Rhodes on my fantasy team from texas if that tells you anything <laughs> oh wow that's a big set okay. yeah kb come on pull me through uh, <laughs> amanda scarborough joining us here on the out of the box podcast amanda before i let you go and, and again thank you so much for for hopping on i want to talk about predetermined sites and regionals because there were whispers and then michelle smith said it on seven innings so tom and i ran with it and then the memorandum came out and then Jersey Meg appeared on seven innings and gave a really great rundown of everything. And now we are in a holding pattern, waiting to see what the predetermined sites actually will be and what they look like and whether or not they will or might reflect the top 16 when those teams are seated, I guess, I guess in about a month, right? I guess we're almost there. Um, yeah. Wow. How, how do you feel about how all of this looks right now? And, and do you think we're going to see some discrepancies between the top 16 and the predetermined regional hosts? Yeah, I think so. I think that there are definitely some schools on the West coast in particular, of course, UCLA, I think if I had to guess they've pretty much chalked it up that they're probably not going to be hosting up, but uh, which is unfortunate because they very well could be the 
two seed, one seed, maybe. I mean, Oklahoma's RPI isn't all that great compared to UCLA's right now, as UCLA has it one overall RPI and Oklahoma is 16. But um, you know, I'm I'm so glad about all this that we're getting to play a 64 team tournament. I feel like that is the underlying just happiness that everybody kind of feels unanimously throughout the softball world and everything else will play itself out. Like, I'm just so, we still need to find out more gray. Like, I feel like we know about these predetermined sites, but there's still so many holes that will be filled in. So it's even hard for me to speak on it. Cause it's like anything that comes to my mind, I'm like, well, we haven't learned that yet. Or we, we don't know about that yet. So there it's still a lot of gray area to find out a lot more. I'm still just I don't know. I, I, I don't know what more we're going to find out and when no, we're going to find it out. I'm totally with you because I think about this and I run through the list and I see, okay, well, Florida and Florida State are both in the top 16. They probably need two Florida hosts. So that's probably good. But Texas is at 17 in the RPI. Let's say, you know, they drop some games down the stretch or something, um, you know, and finish like 20 and aren't seated. But is there really a world, Amanda Scarborough, where you see at least one Texas school not hosting a regional in a predetermined year when you're trying to maybe make things a little easier for schools to travel? Well, you know, I, I, I did think that it was interesting um, to hear the head of the committee talk. He's the NDSU athletic director. Larson is his name. He did a great interview with the in the circle podcast and Eric Lopez. Yeah. Matt Larson. And I even learned from him talking about that. They are going to take into consideration how a team is doing. So if they would be a projected host at that time, you know, or maybe not projected host, sorry, that might seed, whatever, but they are going to take into consideration how a team is doing. So I just a week ago, I thought that they weren't taking into consideration how a team was playing. I thought they were just going to take it on what the bids were and do it regionally. So when we say that things are changing all the time, it literally seems like things are changing all the time. And I still don't even know if the NCA knows exactly what they're going to do. And they still have, they still have a little bit of time to be able to figure it out in all fairness. I mean, they're, they're pushed to decide these things as the season has gone on. And I don't envy any of them either. They're learning from the fall sports and, and other sports that they've already had the championships this year. So, um, they'll figure it out and then eventually we'll all know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is I'm sure everyone will react calmly, rationally, and there will be no controversy whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There won't be any discrepancies whenever the sites are determined and there won't be any discrepancies on selection Sunday, whenever we're, um, at calling out the bracket for the first time on May 16th um, on ESPN too. I think it's on you know, no discrepancies, none probably about the big 10, not having any non-conference games. I mean, surely that won't happen. Oh gosh. Michigan's going to host a regional or something crazy and no one's going to know what to do. It's that's or why Minnesota, we love this sport, though. I mean, yeah. Minnesota. That's a good choice too. I, well, I guess I want to wrap this up, but was Minnesota sweeping Northwestern as shocking to you as it was to me? Because Look, look, this is a Minnesota team that had been one hit the previous weekend by reigning FGCL player of the week on the out of the box podcast, Mm -hmm. Savannah Henley from Purdue, but that's Purdue. This was on the road against Northwestern and a pretty dominant look in all four games, even though one went to extras. Yeah, I was definitely surprised about that. The fact that they won four games on the road against a good Northwestern team that has good pitching. So 
Yes, that definitely took. And I, you know what, maybe Minnesota went in there and they're like, look, this team is ranked. We're not ranked this team, or at least one of these games is going to be nationally televised. We have a chance to make some noise. And even Matt Larson, the committee director uh, who I was just talking about, he said, we're watching all these games. We're watching as many games as we possibly can to be able to put an eye test on all these teams. And so if you're in Minnesota, you took advantage of a huge opportunity, one that a, a nationally televised audience with Beth and Michelle on the call, like they played well. They, I mean, that was a gritty win. It really went into our game too and took us out of our TV slot. Um, but just <laughs> no problem there at all. Uh, but so that a huge statement when big weekend for Minnesota, and I think big weekend for the big 10, just to be able to get some eyes on it and see what's going on over there because they've been hidden all year. Mm. What what a crazy sport this is. It's only going to get crazier. Amanda Scarborough joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Amanda, you're the best. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. And I cannot wait to uh, get to talk more this weekend because Alabama, Florida, it's big. It really doesn't get bigger. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be a good one, Gray. I can't wait for y'all's game on Friday with you and Sydney. And then I'll be locked in watching it. And then Saturday and Sunday will be juicy, I think. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I, God, I just wish that y'all were coming to Tuscaloosa, but uh, we'll cross too. that bridge when we get to it, hopefully in the postseason. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks, Gray. All right, that was Amanda Scarborough. Tom, some fun conversations with Scarbrowski. Mm. Interesting tidbits. Yes, UCLA, mm. not the best mm. conversation for you in terms of what you want to do this postseason, but that's okay. Yeah, I think wherever they play, they'll be fine. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think it'll be all right. Should we dig deeper into tournament stuff? Because I've got an 11-page packet here, Tom, of bracketology. Wow. <laughs> you know, basketball has Joey brackets. Is this is this gray brackets? Sure. We can roll with that. <laughs> That is coming up as we get ready to round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. Bracketology, sites, RPI, other games that are good, all that coming up when we get back. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It's time to round third. Tom, 11 pages, all the data, rankings, records, numbers, averages, listicles, crazy stuff. It's time for my first bracketology. Wow. And it's interesting seeing the, some of the names and teams that are on this packet because it's, it's a few that you might not be expecting to see. Yeah, I know. I also sent you the packet too. So this is the first time that you are seeing the raw numbers that I am because usually I'm very secretive. I've got it hidden in the studio. But when it's... <laughs> right. When we're doing it, you know, virtually, when we're doing the show over Zoom, I got to I gotta kind of peel back the curtain a little bit so I don't have to fly through 30 pages. So I appreciate it, yes. Of course, if we are ready, I will present my top 16 seeds, about which I feel not very good, but it's the best I could come up with. Okay, sounds good to me. Which, I mean, I think that's the way that the committee usually looks at it. Ah, I don't really feel good about it, but let's do it. <laughs> my number one overall seed, Tom, is Oklahoma. And... I'll explain why in a little bit, but my number two is Alabama. My number three is UCLA. My number four is Florida State. Five, Florida. Six, Arkansas. Seven, Oregon. Eight, Virginia Tech. Nine, Texas. Ten, Arizona. Eleven, Tennessee. Twelve, LSU. Thirteen, Washington. Fourteen, Missouri. 
15 Oklahoma State and 16 Kentucky. Not listed Duke, Clemson, or Georgia. And if you're tracking at home, the super regional matchup I would have would be number two Alabama versus number 15 Oklahoma State for the Crimson Tide. So, Tom, please lay it on me as usual. Give me your questions. Give me your wonderments, the things that stick out Mm -hmm. to you from that list. Uh, First of all, is this if the season ended today, this is what it'd be, or are you projecting this is what it's going to be at the end of the year? This is based on the data we have right now. So, Gotcha. Okay. If the season Uh, ended today. Got it. Okay. So you are saying that despite Oklahoma's RPI, you still think they're going to be number one? Yeah, you think they would still be number one right now? And a big part of that was because of the interview that our friends Eric Lopez and Victor Anderson did with Matt Larson from North Dakota State, who is the chairman of the NCAA selection committee. They said that, you know, essentially it's going to be a lot based on how teams are playing and what they look like. And that, you know, basically what I inferred from the interview is that RPI is going to be taken a lot less than normal. I I just feel like at this point, Oklahoma is undeniable. So yeah. Plus, I want well, your landmine and goldmine to be right. <laughs> I was going to say that that works well for my landmine goldmine. So, and Alabama at number two, that being despite being third in the SEC right now. Yeah. So Alabama number two in the RPI, UCLA number one. Strength of schedule for Alabama is nine. UCLA's SOS is three. So not a huge difference. And with those teams, I, I just want to put this out there. If you're looking at the same sites I am don't really pay much attention to non-conference strength of schedule because it appears that the NCAA website is not taking the non-conference games against conference foes as conference games. So for example, Alabama's non-conference strength of schedule right now is 105. That is not factoring in two games against LSU and one against Mississippi State. UCLA's is 57. That is not factoring in two games against Oregon back in Tempe, I guess a month ago. So yeah. strength of schedule is much more of the, I think, clear criteria. And between those two teams, a couple things stuck out. In particular, key wins. Alabama, 12 wins against the RPI top 25. UCLA, 8. Alabama with 18 top 50 RPI wins. UCLA, again, with just 8. I think UCLA's got better losses. I think Alabama has more good wins, and their wins are better at least RPI-wise. So Alabama at two, UCLA at three just made more sense to me. People will look at this and say, wow, Arizona at 10 and Washington at 13. That's pretty low for those two teams who a lot of people think there's one of the, maybe two are both in the top five overall. Well, Arizona has one top 25 win in the RPI. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's that's just, where I'm, I'm going to throw that. Out there. Right. All right. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. And Washington has more, but I mean, they've got some just some criminally bad losses. So yeah. Nevada is their worst loss at 150. The average RPI of Washington's losses is 61. So I'll, I'll put that in perspective. The average RPI for UCLA's losses, because they're all to Oregon, is nine. The average RPI for Alabama's five losses is 17. Again, the average RPI for Washington's five losses is 61. So just a big gap there. Again, I don't want to super punish teams for strength of schedule, but at the same time, Washington just, they they have bad losses that other teams don't have. So I had to push them down a little bit. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think we, I don't think at this season, 
you really punish somebody for not playing a tough non-conference schedule. But if you don't play a tough non-conference schedule and you lose some of those games, I think you should definitely be punished for that. Uh, so I can see that. And then the last thing I would say is that uh, I think I know I would like to hear the numbers why, because I think some people would accuse you of SEC bias because it, Tennessee, LSU, Missouri, and Kentucky, I'm not sure if they're truly top 16 worthy at this Agre- point. I, in terms of eye test? You're right. Yeah. So with LSU, it's interesting. That, you know, we have this debate every year with the team with the best strength of schedule. How much does playing those games factor in? How much should actually winning some of them count? LSU's got some good wins. They don't have really any bad losses. Their worst losses to Texas A&M, 37 in the RPI. They've got 12 top 25 wins. They've got 15 top 50 wins, but also 13 top 50 losses. So how much do you look at the win number for LSU versus the overall record? I think it's a big factor. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, when the committee decides these predetermined sites, they're going to want somebody in Louisiana to host because there are some Louisiana sure. schools. And, mm-hmm. you know, while geography is not going into the predetermined site selection for the most part in terms of just teams being able to get places, I think it'll be really difficult to ignore both Louisiana schools. So I think LSU is a stronger choice there. With Tennessee, it's, I don't really know. But uh, just kind of a gut feeling. They've got some good wins. I think that road win at Alabama is going to really hold up. They've got a win against LSU. You know, the average RPI of losses is 17, even with six. They've got some chances later on in the year to pick up some good wins. Missouri is another interesting test case. 12 RPI top 50 wins. They've got some, one of the better non-conference wins that you'll find in among the SEC teams at Florida State, who is fourth Mm. in the RPI right now. They've got a solid road record. Their worst loss is Iowa State. And then with Kentucky, I think it's just, you know, that 16 slot. I had Georgia, Kentucky, Duke, Clemson. I think the possibility of all the teams that can get to Kentucky is going to be just too much to ignore right there. Now, the SEC bias comment, I think also, you know, could be said, well, great. Where is your Duke Clemson love? Why is the ACC getting hated here? Yeah. Duke has a losing record against the RPI top 10, top 25, and top 50. They've got a win at LSU and then, you know, a, a win against Virginia Tech, two against Clemson. That's that's fine. The, but the, the, the sweep against Florida State really, really hurts you. Really hurts you. The uh, It just wasn't a very impressive resume. And kind of the same with Clemson. They played 30 games. And out of those 30, seven have been against the top 50 of the RPI. I mean, yeah, they don't yeah. have really any bad losses, but nothing really jumps off the page. Now, I think Clemson, more so than Duke, is a very attractive team to host because of the new facility, because of the energy around that program, because I think the love that is felt in that city for softball right now. So I maybe it was a mistake to not put them on there, and I think they'll have chances certainly to work their way back in. But just the way the math worked, I think right now their profile to me did not scream – top 16 seed well well and then uh with the predetermined sites you don't have to be a seed to host right so you know they could still certainly host it and even if they're not a top 16 but but I, that- I think what's interesting because in the interview they talked about how they are going to try their best to match up the hosts and the regional seedings sure so yeah. 
you know, there are some teams who might not be able to actually host that are seated because they're ineligible, there are issues in their states and whatnot. I don't think Clemson would have that issue if they're in a position in two weeks to host in two weeks because they look like a potential top 16 seed. They'll get that chance. I just, you know, we'll see if they actually can hold on to being a top 16 seed because the schedule going forward is very meh. So we'll see. Okay. Well, those are just, those are the ones that jumped out at me. I think overall it's, it's a, it's a very solid and, and a fair list. If I'm Alabama, I would take that right now and run. Uh, I would take a two two overall seed in a matchup with Oklahoma State. I'm I'm all for that. If I have the Crimson Tide, how about a South Alabama to the Tuscaloosa Regional? Are you excited about that? Yes, I would love it. I have a feeling the game would go differently. Just a touch. Just a little bit. All right, that's my, uh, that's my bracketology. Anything, before we move on and head home, anything that catches your eye about the RPI? I mean, it came out, Auburn, still kind of lingering. You will notice they were not in the document. Like, I'm sorry, Auburn, I cannot include no. a three and nine conference team in my <laughs> list of 20 that could potentially host. That RPI might be the best we've seen from a team that's really not going to be close to hosting, but... Yeah, other than that, nothing too, I think, really surprising from the list this week. No, not this week. It's kind of – it's going to eventually work itself out. I don't think anybody was that shocking other than Auburn being as high as they were. So, um, yeah, and then I'm glad to hear the NCAA saying that they won't be using it quite as much because, again, this year it's just not – it's not a fair – criteria because everyone is playing with different rules and different schedules and um i think it'd be unfair to go with that type of formula and really factor it in now you can use it as a little bit of a tool just to kind of you know maybe break some ties or things like that but overall um yeah just kind of kind of throw it out this year use the eye test which i know you're used to not be able to do but hopefully you'll be able to do it this year and uh, and seed something properly i mean scarborough throughout minnesota as a potential host they just swept northwestern i they've hosted very recently and you know who knows and that's and i said that last week i i think you will want to have one host site in the midwest or or in the northwest uh that will you know kind of help you know bring some teams together from up there and I think Minnesota is definitely a case. They have a good facility. They can do that. They've shown they've hosted before. So I wouldn't be shocked if Minnesota gets to host. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if there's, you know, some teams that aren't anywhere near being a seated team. They get to host just because of their facilities. We talked about that with, you know, a Texas A&M or a, a Liberty or somebody like that that might be able to host. Um, and that would be a good one that if there are the teams out West, like the UCLA's, the Oregon's, Arizona's, that aren't going to be allowed to host, send them somewhere where it's a really good facility and not a, you know, a highly seated team as your number two. So normally before we head home, we would list some of the big non sec conference games, but why do that Tom when we can pick them? Oh, you're trying, you're trying to go volume to try to catch up. I can, I see what you're doing, Tom. I'm getting wrecked. All right. I got to do something. (laughs) I'll allow it. Yeah, yeah, you will. I wrote the rundown. (laughs) It's your podcast. All right. (laughs) It's time to head home. When we get back, picks, Tom's hungry, off the wall. I just, you people, we'll we'll get into it later here on the Out of the Box (laughs) podcast. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Roll down your windows, let your hand swirl in the breeze as the sun sets in the distance, and you take a look at the SEC pick standings and see Tom four ahead. That's that's the inner peace of Tom Canterbury, knowing that he has such a healthy margin, it is basically going to be impossible for me to come back. As I dip my chip into the dip, put some extra cheese on it, and enjoy myself. Start that self-timer. We'll take a picture. <laughs> We're heading home here on the Out of the Box podcast. Good show already. We started at the plate, talked about Bama, Arkansas. Then we advanced to first, talked about the SEC, stole second with Scarborough, rounded third. My bracketology is out there. Again, the usual disclaimer, rip me apart if you want, but know that it will be completely different next week. I did 10 pages and now it goes in the trash because it basically is meaningless and we'll do it again (laughs) next week. (laughs) But now Tom, it's time to head home and let's start with SEC picks. You know, me going first did nothing. So you're up first again, partner. Okay. All right. Let's see what we got. Kentucky at Auburn. Uh, Started me off with Kentucky, the enigma that we still don't know. against Auburn who is trying to get into the enigma category. I still put them in, they're still in the bottom, but I think uh, if they are able to do well this weekend, I may move them up into the Enigma category, but I don't see it happening. I'm saying Kentucky wins 2-1. Let's get weird. Shelby Lowe, Auburn 2-1. Wow. And let's move on from there. I have nothing else to add. <laughs> I got to I gotta be different, Tom. I have to catch yeah. up somehow. Just give her some, give her some offense. I'm leaning into the enigmaness of Kentucky. As I said last episode, I submit to the weird. Mississippi State at Missouri, Tom, what do you say? I said last week, it ended up they didn't even play the week, the series, but it was going to be very hard for me in good conscience to pick Mississippi State to win a game. But then Missouri struggled a bit. But I'm going to say rational. And I'm going to say Missouri sweeps them. I love that a sweep is rational. Right. I was not going to go crazy and say the Bulldogs are actually going to win a game. Let's not get nuts. I'm going to go Missouri two out of three. I think I think Andy yeah. Willis is able to get Mississippi State a game. But, again, yeah. that's – They that's, need him to. They need her to, that's for sure. For sure. It, yeah, it has to be Andy Willis because the other pitchers, it's just not – it's not happening right now. So No. Arkansas at Georgia – Tom, holy cow, huge. Yeah. Come on, you hairy dogs. Let's do it. I'm going to try to will it into existence and say Georgia wins 2-1. Same here. I'm kind of rolling with the Auburn pick. I'm picking Kentucky to lose that series because of bad vibes from the Georgia series this past weekend. Picking Georgia to beat Arkansas because of good vibes after the series win in Lexington. Also, Athens, just weird. Things happen there. It's a tough place to play. I think if the truth is on, it's going to be hard for Arkansas to, you know, to – pile up the hits like they have so often here in conference play, except last weekend. So I'm taking right. Georgia two out of three. <laughs> Georgia just know that everyone in road stadium, Alabama, Florida, all the fans were all rooting for you. And Come if on, you Georgia. lose, I've got the Tyra Banks tweet ready. <laughs> yes, indeed. 
we were all rooting for you. <laughs> I will point and yell on the air, just like Tyra <laughs> Banks. <laughs> Ole Miss at Texas A&M, Tom. Uh, unclear as to what we should do here, quite frankly. I'm going to say Ole Miss 2-1. Um, again, Ole Miss is kind of at the top of the enigmas at this point. A&M's kind of been on a little bit of a, a downfall toward the bottom of the enigmas. Um, and this could push them into the bottom away from enigmaness if they're able to, uh, if they lose this series, which I think is going to happen. So I'll go with the Rebels 2-1. I'm going to go with A&M 2-1. Here's why. Let me read to you the Ole Miss season in conference play so far. Sweep, get swept. Win series 2-1, lose series 2-1. Win series 2-1. This week, I think they lose the series 2-1. Also, 1-5 uh, in SEC play on the road. Going with the pattern. Yes. I like it. That's, All right. I, I am the math guy. This packet isn't just, you know, <laughs> random crap. It's statistical information. Sure. sure. And, Tom, if there's anything I know, it's that you can't argue with stats. But No. Some- you. What idiots would try to – Say stats are not real. Who would say that? Oh, Lord. (sighs) All right, we've been told this is being played. Tennessee at South Carolina. Brian Rice, our buddy, was texting me about this a couple weeks ago and said, I hope South Carolina is that bad because it is literally impossible for us to win in Columbia. I don't know. I think South Carolina might be that bad. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, they're pretty bad. I I think Tennessee definitely wins, too. It's what, what are they going to be able to do with the non-Ashley Rogers game? Will they be able to make that one happen? I'm going to say yes, Tennessee sweeps. This might be the most different picks we've ever had. I've got Tennessee two out of three. Oh, there you because go. Because I'm, I'm kind of betting a little bit that Callie Turner is still not 100%. So if she's not, the rest of the pitchers are just not the answer for Tennessee. I think South Carolina yeah. finds a way. I think maybe they okay. have a little confidence themselves after finally finding their way through the forest and winning a game in SEC play. <laughs> so I've got Tennessee two out of three. A couple of big national series before we get to, of course, the main course of picks. Arizona at Arizona State. So how do we want to do this, Tom? Are we picking all four, or do you want to pick the three that count? I think we should pick the three that count. All right, cool. Let's do that. You're up first. Arizona at Arizona State. What do you have? It's rough. Arizona State, the my my kind of first love, the Sun Devils. How are they be able to handle Arizona? I want to, I want to, but I I mean, Arizona wins all three of them. Wow. Uh, yeah. I got Arizona two out of three. Why? Explain yourself. The problem was I was I was all in on Arizona State being able to at least win one from UCLA. And then UCLA just just destroyed them. Uh, Arizona State was able to get the you know they got a couple of crazy wins against Washington. I I don't see because they're going to have to be able to mash to mash with with Arizona, who's kind of figured out their offense, um, and it's going to be hard for them to do that. So uh, I'll have to see it before I can fear the fork. So I'm going to go Arizona with the sweep. Mm. I think Arizona State wins the game that doesn't count. Well, as long as Kendra Hackbarth has like seven RBI this weekend, I'm cool with it. So yeah, Arizona 2-1. I Just the Arizona pitching staff to me is still very strange. Alyssa Denham randomly gave up five earned runs the other night to New Mexico State. I just – I don't know weird. how yeah. much I trust that pitching staff to shut down Arizona State in all three of the games that count. I think the Sun Devils find a way at home to win one. But 
and we'll see. Okay. Yeah. That's one where I hope I'm wrong. I'm bo- I hope you win that one and pick up a game. I mean, I we, we've got like five that are different, so there's a strong chance <laughs> we're tied by the time we meet wow. next week. <laughs> or or I could have just an insurmountable lead with all, the, with all these different – that's a possibility as well. More likely. Uh, the biggest series outside of Tuscaloosa this weekend, Tom, Texas at Oklahoma. Is it time? Are we finally going to see the Sooners – fall will texas finally stake their claim as a chance as a contender to maybe somehow be almost kind of close to oklahoma in the big 12 that window is in 2020 and unfortunately the season was canceled uh i think that window is closed and i think oklahoma sweeps them I don't think you've ever in an Oklahoma series on this podcast not picked an Oklahoma sweep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, it's, it's like picking Alabama in football. I mean, you just kind of have to do it. No, I agree. I've got Oklahoma 2-1, and let me tell you why. Oh. There is someone, I'm not going to name her name, but she knows who she is. She told me Texas is going to win the series. This is a person who knows Texas intimately. I looked at her and said, you crazy girl. But she did amend her statement and said, I think Texas will for sure win one because Mike White knows how to hit G. Juarez. G. Juarez did spend time at Arizona State before going to Oklahoma where Mike White, who was at Oregon, faced her many times Mm -hmm. and had a lot of success. (sighs) Do I trust the Texas pitching staff to shut down Oklahoma? Eh, not really, yeah. but I think Texas, if they get into a mashing situation, could keep pace with Oklahoma as long as it doesn't get too mashy. So I've got Oklahoma two out of three. I hate the pick. This is fully trusting my source, who I hope is right, because honestly, it would be nice to see Oklahoma lose. Oh, I, I want them to lose. I'd love for Texas to sweep them. I just don't, I don't see any way, shape, or form. We have a better possibility of getting scholarships from Patrick Murphy ourselves than Texas <laughs> sweeping Oklahoma. Yeah, 100%. Finally, Florida at Alabama. Uh, we've talked about it. We've broken it down. The impact of the series cannot be overstated. Odds are the winner of this series wins the SEC or at least has a better shot at going after Arkansas. And mm-hmm. – I, I am firmly in the camp that Arkansas at some point is going to come back to the pack and the winner of this series is winning the conference. What do you have? Uh, I'm with you on that. It's just, it's going to be such a, such a amazing weekend series. The uh, capacity now at 50%. Uh, it's going to be a rock and Rose house, a, a party at Rhodes this weekend. I think it, a lot of it's going to depend on what happens in game one. Uh, if Montana Fouts can come out, assuming she's the, the starter on Friday, if she comes out and is able to keep Florida in check, Alabama getting a win there, you, Alabama could really take off from there, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think Alabama wins game one. I, I would love to be able to pick Alabama in game two with Kilfoyle. Unfortunately, just with the the home runs that she's given up lately, it's, it's hard for me to say she's going to be able to keep Florida in, in, the, in the ballpark. So I'll go Gators in game two. But Montana Fouts, similar to this past weekend against Arkansas, I think she'll come out and maybe be even better on Sunday. So I'll go Alabama wins 2-1 with the two Montana Fouts games. I feel very confident that Alabama will win game three. I feel very confident 
that Montana fouls a second time, whether she pitches game one or game two, will come out in game three and look really strong because as we've highlighted a couple times, she seems to be better the second time she sees an opponent. And there's a lot of evidence to back that up. Second time she saw Oklahoma in 2019, what happened? A shutout in the Women's College World Series. You know, second time she saw Arkansas last weekend, one of the best performances we've seen from her in her entire career. Second time she saw Arizona in 2019, Mm -hmm. a shutout with, I think, five hits or whatever, four hits, not very much. No. So I like Alabama to win game three because I think Fouts goes game one, pitches well, but pitches better in game three. The question is what happens in games one and two. I don't know, but I think Alabama wins one of them. So I am going to take Alabama two out of three. I also think a big key here is what our boy Timmy decides to do with the pitching staff. You know, Hightower is probably the answer in game one. Lugo, her changeup could be the equalizer against an Alabama offense that historically has struggled against the changeup and the off speed. So how much does he decide to use her? Do we see a lot of Katie Cronister? Do we see Riley Trilicek, who we haven't seen very much this year? You know, there are a lot of ways he can play this series as well. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to be doing this podcast in a week and saying the same thing. One name, two words, Montana Fouts. And I think that'll be the difference. One name, two words, Montana Fouts. Mm. Ready to play right now. Well, well tomorrow. It's, it's late. It, it is very late. And <laughs> I agree. Let's go. Except we've got off the wall. Why do we have off the wall, Tom? I don't understand. I, I, it makes no sense. I'll let you go. Just just take it off. Go go ahead. Run with it. Okay, well, the main one that I – okay, so this is after – I understand the frustration of game two. Uh, I think there was a lot of overreaction, but I understand the frustration. National television, huge game. Alabama gets shut out. I understand being upset. There's some non-rational things said, but overall – not going to kill people for this one. But after game three, Alabama wins 2-0. Montana Fouts pitches one of the best games we've ever seen her pitch. And there is some a killjoy in the comments that wants to point out Alabama only won because of two Arkansas mistakes. Let's not get too excited. First of all, I'm going to get excited Alabama won a series on the road against the conference leader. I don't, I don't care how it happened. I'll take it. Alabama won, and I'm excited. And two, yeah, Arkansas made two mistakes. Alabama capitalized on them. How many mistakes did Alabama make? Zero. Alabama did not allow a run. Hard to lose when you don't allow a run. Who cares how you score the runs? They count. Why, why don't understand this mentality of runs have to be scored a certain way for us to be excited about it? I don't care how the runs score. It counts. Score the runs. Arkansas wasn't going to give back the three runs that they they, they got on an error in game one. You take them. The the opponent screws up. You're going to take the runs. That's part of the game. How that can be somehow construed as let's not really get excited because we, we scored on a wild pitch. Who cares how we scored? We scored. We won. Be excited. Enjoy it. That's what the whole thing, that's what this whole basic segment we do every week basically boils down to. Why don't you just enjoy it when we win? I don't understand why it has to be in a certain way. 
it makes no sense to me. Amen. Brilliantly said. And so you know, frustrating. Those weren't fluky runs. One was on, Patrick Murphy said on our coach's call today, I will break the news. The second run was a called play. So maybe I was a little incorrect with my analysis and the physics of a bat shielding the eyes, but Patrick Murphy, dadgummit, called that play to try and figure out a way to get a run scored. That happened. Right. Yeah, and, and the first one was an RBI hit by pitch. How do you get an RBI hit by pitch? You have to have the bases loaded. That's yeah, not they, fluky. That didn't happen right. by accident. Exactly. It's, it's not like Arkansas said, go ahead and load the bases, and we'll see if we can get you out now. Alabama worked to get the bases loaded. I am fully expecting to have some additions to the document after this past week. I don't know what they'll be, but I know when the light is brightest, sometimes the roaches get curious and take a peek before scurrying back to their holes. And I'm sure that peak will result in just essays upon essays. Also, just one more time for the folks in the back. The Lady Tide does not exist. Not a thing. Not a thing. It's the Crimson Tide. The Lady Tide is not a thing. It just doesn't make sense. If they were named that, roll with it. We would say it, yada, yada. You know, Louisiana Tech is the Lady Texters. Tennessee is the Lady Vols. But Alabama's not the Lady Tide in literally yeah. anything. So stop <laughs> saying that for the love of God. That is no one's nickname. All right, Tom, I know you've got something else. So what, what else would you like to add to Off the Wall? I know because you went to – I didn't do it, but you went to the Arkansas social medias after the game on Sunday. Yes. Just to, just to compare and see what the comments were. And what did you see? Good game. Montana Fouts was just really good. Right. So, and I say that, I bring that up because, and I understand if you're an Arkansas softball fan, you probably don't have the expectations of an Alabama softball fan. You are what we call new money. I totally understand that. But that being said, if you're an Alabama fan, have, have high expectations. You know, expect Alabama to be a conference champion. Expect Alabama to be in the World Series. That's what Alabama expects. You should be there. That's what the players expect. That's what the coaches expect. We we really want it to happen. But there's a difference between having high expectations and having unrealistic expectations. And I think a lot of the times, from what I see in the comments and the off-the-wall people that we're talking about, it's just unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. instead of high expectations. Nick Saban doesn't have unrealistic expectations. He has high expectations. But there is a difference in a 15 game football season and a 60 game softball season where you're going to have those high expectations, but there's going to just be games where it doesn't happen. And people, I'm not saying be okay with losing or not playing as well as you want, but don't have unrealistic expectations for these players that are human and are flawed like everybody. Yeah. I I would did want to, piggyback off that somebody did say in one comment i don't know why we couldn't hit autumn storms very well i do she's a fifth year senior who is an all-american who's pitching really yeah. well she was a really good pitcher pitching great that's why alabama couldn't hit her very well she was doing to alabama what montana fouts did arkansas the next day yeah it's what happens it happens sometimes hmm. that's off so the wall 
why we still have to do this, I don't understand, but we do. Well, something was really good all weekend long. We look, Tom, on these road trips, we get in the car, we load up the podcast, we stop and get food and get gas and get drinks. And then we arrive in these cities and we treat ourselves. Mm. We treat ourselves for science for a little segment <laughs> called Tom's Hungry. Tom, please, oh, please take it away. I will fill in my orders as you go through the week of food. Sure. But my goodness, what a trip to Fayetteville. It, it was it was treat yourself 2021 in Fayetteville <laughs> is what it was. Just amazing amounts of gluttony all weekend, all weekend long. Uh, I will give you the uh, podium for Fayetteville. And I think Fayetteville as itself has moved up very, very high on the all-time Tom's Hungry Cities. I, I'm very excited to one day go back to Fayetteville. Hopefully not on a, hopefully on a plane this time. <laughs> but uh, so I'll do honorable mention to Torchies because it's not, it's not a Fayetteville specific thing. Uh, obviously started in College Station, but we drove by it. I was like, oh my God, there's a Torchies. So we're like, we went to Torchies, uh, the Republican and the uh, Hillbilly Queso. Yeah, very good. Uh, so that's going to get honorable mention. In third place, the bronze medal I'm going to give to Wright's Barbecue. There was some controversy, some consternation that we chose Wright's Barbecue over some of the other barbecue joints. Uh, one, because I didn't know it was going to be closed on Sunday. I was planning on going to the other one on Sunday. It didn't happen because it was closed. But uh, I'm very happy with our decision to go to Wright's. I had the brisket, uh, mac and cheese, green beans, which was uh, recommended to us, and a loaded baked potato salad. Not quite good bull level potato salad but a very good potato salad the mac and cheese was quite good the brisket was good sauce quality so i'm very happy with the right experience i had the pork barbecue sandwich i had their original sauce it was really good and mm -hmm. yeah you know you're right of the barbecue places we've had is it my favorite no good bowl will forever be my favorite barbecue right. place we've ever been to did it deserve some of the just roasting we got on social media for going? No, it was really good. Yeah. You know, there are, we asked, we asked the Fayetteville people where to go and that got the overwhelming, like they said, go there. It was the first that, one Courtney Diefel listed. That got the endorsement. We'll, we, we'll take the townies call. Yeah. So agreed. Writes Very good. Really strong for us too, because this is, this was on Saturday. We played our game at just a very early oh. hour and we yeah. had a lot of time to get hungry again and then go eat well that night. And it worked out. That was the night WrestleMania had a rain delay. So everything just worked out really well for us to be able to go to that one. In second place, this might surprise you. In second place, I'm going to go ham and treats. Oh. Uh, our, yes, our, our good buddy, uh, SID extraordinaire, Nate Sheehan, is, I think has ham and trees is number one, maybe ever over, number one overall uh but i'm gonna go number two i had the honky which was uh it was cheese bacon and artichoke hearts on a grilled cheese really good stuff i really mm. enjoyed it uh it was I, I wish i had done like nate and gotten the soup to go along with it but overall can't complain at all about ham and trees uh definitely lived up to the hype can't go wrong with a good gourmet quality grilled cheese and ham and trees in fayetteville definitely has that I had the Chewbacca or Chewbacca. I think on the menu it said Chewbacca. On the website it said Chewbacca. So a little, you know, disconcerting. What is the sandwich <laughs> called? I don't know. But it was a grilled cheese with garlic aioli and it had like four different kinds of cheeses and there was a little bit of bacon in there and a little bit of pork too. It was really good. 
But mm -hmm. because I take medication that makes me not hungry, I couldn't finish it. I put it in the fridge. And as we were about an hour down the road on Monday, I realized it was still in the fridge. So oh. big L for Gray, but mm. a big W for ham and trees. It was the one that we had our eye on coming back immediately we remembered it from 2018 it was a place the whole staff went to that year so as yeah. always a really good spot i think a staple for fayetteville and a place that will always be on our list when we go back to that city oh 100 yeah we'll go back there every every time uh number one something that sometimes gets a little bit neglected maybe on tom's hungry is breakfast because a lot of times breakfast we either sleep in and sleep through it or we get it at the hotel. Uh, but this was one of the one of the times where being bubble adjacent and not inside the bubble actually worked to our benefit because we had the car, we could go wherever we want, do whatever we want. And we got recommended a wonderful breakfast spot called Doomsday. And I had three meat breakfast tacos at Doomsday that like, I don't know if I'd drive eight hours right now for it, but I would drive a significant amount of time <laughs> to get this three meat taco. It was jalapeno sausage, regular breakfast sausage and bacon with eggs and then some sort of Mexican sauce, flour tortilla. And it was tremendous. And I think it, it goes, breakfast is my favorite meal of the day anyway to do. I mean, just, it was tremendous. And I put it at number one gold medal for Fayetteville doomsday. I respect the decision and a quick shout out to the woman who recommended doomsday to us, Megan Turk, the sec network plus analyst in Arkansas. Also a owner of koozies and stickers. We'll get to that in just a bit. She recommended yeah. this place to you while I was in the bathroom. I came out and you said, we're going to doomsday tomorrow before our game. I said, that's cool. I went <laughs> with you. I had not just one, but two orders of the breakfast tacos I did the single meat with the bacon. It was sublime. I agree. I am team sauce always. The sauce makes everything you eat. And the crema, Mexican crema sauce on the taco drizzled on was perfect. It was oh, man. superb and does make me wonder, what have we been missing over the years by not waking up and going to breakfast? So that will yeah. be, I think, an emphasis on Tom's Hungry for the rest of the season and as long as we do this podcast and are traveling around the SEC. Yeah, already we need to start looking into breakfast places in, in Athens because we will remain bubble adjacent at least through the, the rest of the regular season. So uh, we will be able to go get something somewhere because calzones will be closed by breakfast time. Well, it depends on what time you consider breakfast time. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. How far after midnight does it have to be until it's actually breakfast? That's a good Tom's Hungry. Again, Fayetteville, thank you so much. I mean, what a trip. Yeah, good stuff. It was only an hour further than Lexington, but it felt like five. I don't know why. It just mm. did. Well, maybe because we were parked on the side of the road for nine hours and we never moved. <laughs> uh, inside jokes. Sydney Little John Watkins might be the only one that gets that. If you've listened to enough Crime Junkie, you know exactly what we're talking about. Tom, don't be like Mark. That's two podcast references. <laughs> <laughs> we did we listened to so much crime junkie on the way home and i'm like and i get home and i'm like is just everybody in the world just crazy am i the only one that's not crazy or the fact that i'm the one that th i think i'm not crazy am i crazy i don't know there's also something i want to get to as we sign off you saw something this weekend something historic something that has not happened yet this year 
That was a box of koozies and stickers. They're in the car. They're yes. there. They're staying there. I will bolt them to the floor. I'm going to have gear Saturday and Sunday for Alabama, Florida. And more people coming, more gear available. I've even got the shirt box. You come up, we'll have like the first three people that come up and ask for shirts. Give me your size. I'll go and get it from the car. I did actually see these boxes and actual saw actually saw the sticker and koozies. Uh, so they were actually there. They made the trip to Fayetteville. We gave a few out, uh, but I know we'll have the opportunity to give some more out here this weekend. So uh, Gray actually brought them. It was impressive to see. Uh, I believed it when I saw it and I saw it. So there you go. Congratulations on bringing the stuff that you advertised. Thank you. Again, <laughs> I will reinforce the first three people that come to the window Saturday and Sunday, not while we're on the air. If we're talking right. into the microphone, please wait patiently outside the window. But just come, say farcical, or just say, hey, I listened to the final five minutes of the podcast that went four hours, and <laughs> I will get your size and go get you a t-shirt unless I'm out, which I don't think I am, but you never know. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a huge weekend for merch and other things. And speaking of the other things, Tom, we're going to be tweeting about all those other things, including the penultimate episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, other softball mm. things, and of course, Alabama, Florida. Where can the people find you, Tom? Find me at T Canterbury RTR on Twitter. That's C A N T E R B U R Y. Posting all that type of stuff. They'll throw in some other Alabama sports related things, some wrestling stuff as well. So check it out T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. And you can follow me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow the show at Out of the Box underscore pod. Rate, review, like. I keep forgetting to do that at the beginning, so I hope if you're at the end, you like us enough to give us five stars yeah. because that's the goal. <laughs> like and subscribe and review and all that type of stuff. Thank you to our mm -hmm. friend Amanda Scarborough for joining us. That is it for this episode of the Out of the Box podcast. Of course, we thank all of you listening at home. Thank you to the people who won't shut up on the comments because... People do enjoy the off-the-wall segment. As much as we hate having to do it, there are a lot of people who look forward to hearing it every single week. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's, it's almost, it's, it's the driving to pass a, a, an accident and just having to look at it type of thing. You just have to do it. <laughs> Either way, that's it for the Out of the Box podcast. We've got Alabama State coming up on Wednesday. Tom on radio, myself on TV. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday, Sunday, Gray and Tom on the air for radio. Friday, Gray on TV with Sydney. Tom on the air on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And Tom, people can find that where? Well, if you're in Tuscaloosa listening over the air on the radio, 93.3 FM. And you can also download the Praise app or praise933.com to get it streaming. Uh, we're also available on TuneIn. Uh, we're also available on SiriusXM. So just Go to either one of those and search Alabama or wherever. If you normally listen on Sirius or XM, wherever you normally are for the other sports, we'll be in and around there somewhere. I don't know what the particular channel number, but uh, search us out and we're there. Yep. <clears throat> I was going to say, and as always, go to RollTide.com, the schedule page, and has the link to live audio, live video, live stats, everything else. So there's no way you can not find us if you're looking. <laughs> The Google machine is sometimes hard to navigate, but really it's not. So just it's not. do some searching. Just, 
Yeah, that's all you got to do. Tom, there might be two GoPros this weekend. It's Bama, Florida. It doesn't get bigger in Tuscaloosa. I mean, this is going to be such a fun weekend. I cannot wait to dive into it. Alabama State on Wednesday, we hope. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. But this weekend is what it what we work towards. This is as big as it gets in the SEC. Absolutely. It's always the, one of the biggest series of the year. Uh, last year, it took a worldwide pandemic for these two teams not to play. So we're back at it here this year. Mm. No rest for the weary. Let's go. Bama, Florida, this weekend. Buckle in. Get your boxing gloves. It's going to be a fight, folks. From our partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for tuning into the Out of the Box podcast. This weekend's going to be wild. We hope you'll ride along right with us as we head forward here in the college softball season. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box podcast. Thank you.